good to be with you. Thanks for coming to worship today, and thanks for the, you that are joining us online. If ever there has been a time of uncertainty, it is now. At least so it seems. I did a Google search for uncertain times, and I found 150,000 web results that came up on my screen that I could have looked at. I just honed in on two of them. One was titled, In These Uncertain Times, Coronavirus Ads Strike Some Repetitive Notes. So I clicked on it and I went there. This is the opening paragraph. The most common elements of coronavirus advertising are familiar by now. Piano music, images of empty streets, voiceovers that invoke these uncertain times, and companies promising to be there for their consumers. The ad, the web post underscores that U.S. companies have not forgotten how to do business even in times that are uncertain like these. I also stumbled on something that was rather humorous that I want to share with you. It's a little lighthearted. It's a humorous satire done by actor, writer, and video producer Ryan George. Sit back just for a moment and let's just enjoy a little chuckle together, if you will. In these uncertain times, times can be a little uncertain. And when times are uncertain, it's not always certain what time it is. That's why we at the Sandwich with the Pretty Big Pickle in It Corporation want to say that we're here for you. Which, if I understand correctly, is now the socially acceptable way to say, please don't stop giving us your money. I've been told by my PR team that big corporations can't make normal commercials anymore. So, you know, here we are. <coughs> we know that these are scary times for people, because we're people too, pretty much, legally speaking. Lots of people are suddenly now living paycheck to paycheck. So we just want to make sure that, you know, some of those paychecks still come our way. I mean, we'll happily send an underpaid delivery guy straight to your door if you want. I mean, we'll charge a little extra for delivery because of how uncertain the times are. Now, you may be wondering, will that extra money go to the underpaid delivery guy? Well, you can rest assured that, no, that money's for me, the corporation CEO. Oh, and yeah, also, I would like to say, uh, thank you to our medical professionals. I'm told it's a good look if I do that. In fact, I'm happy to announce that the sandwich with the pretty big pickle in it corporation has given one million dollars to an ad agency to make this very commercial, in which I said thank you. You heard me just a minute ago. Could we have donated that money instead? Of course. But that doesn't, re that doesn't really translate into direct sales, so I, I mean, what do you want? What do you want me to do? So now... He goes on a little bit there, and if you want to watch the rest of the video, you can Google him online. Just Google Ryan George on certain times. You should find it, or you can pull up the sermon notes attached to this uh, sermon online, and there's a whole slew of comedy routines that he's done that will bring a smile to your face. You know, Benjamin Franklin wrote in 1789, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes, right? We've heard that. And while there's truth in that, I would add this. One thing we can be certain of is uncertainty. As we compare life today to life six months ago, I'd say we live in an ever-increasing uncertain world that seems to be picking up speed. At the same time, uncertainty has always been part of life. When you look back at history, each generation had its own uncertainties. You look back into the biblical times and the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they went through these times of real, big, life uncertain things. People went through wars and other pandemics. So 
while it seems like we live in the most uncertain of times, and I, I would suggest that merely it's our rather limited view of the life we are living in the here and now. Now, that's not meant to underestimate what we're going through, because from our perspective, which is the only one we have, um, things are uncertain. I remember a point in time, a personal moment, when I was faced with what seemed to be like a big deal uncertainty that made me want to literally run down the street. It was 1999, and my older brother had died of AIDS, and I was about to do his memorial service. And I was totally uncertain if I could get through it. Let me tell you a little bit about my relationship with my brother. We were not really all that close, I would say, but we were brothers. We cared for each other. We had a good relationship. I was always trying to live up the reputation that Terry had a couple years older than me as being a great guy and a great leader, and he always thought that I came behind him and outdid him. Sibling rivalry at its best, I think. I remember the time he told me he was gay. I was in college, and I didn't understand it. But we continue to be brothers and care for each other and love each other. When God's grace penetrated this thick skull of mine, and both my wife Lynette and I gave our lives to Christ Jesus, responding to the grace of the gospel, I gained a whole new acceptance and understanding of his word, his scriptures. It seemed to me, if the gospel was true... And if Jesus was who he said he was, and if Jesus came and did what he said he did, if that was all true, it just all had to be true. And so my understanding of physical intimacy was, as the scriptures teach, is to be enjoyed and reserved for holy matrimony between a man and a woman. Terry and I talked about it, and then we both decided, although we didn't vocalize it, that it would not be the conversation that monopolized our relationship. We were brothers. At some point down the road, Terry brought up in a way that communicated his desire that I would fully accept his lifestyle. And I told him I loved him, always did, always will. But because of what God's Word says, I believe God had something far better than this. It wasn't immediately, but soon thereafter, Understandably, Terry pulled back and became more distant. It was, I think, then in 1999 that I accepted a call as the associate pastor at Memorial Presbyterian Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Terry and his partner, Dwayne, lived in Atlanta, and that put us closer in proximity than we had ever been since college. Out of the desire, I think, to reestablish and grow his relationship with our five young children, Terry reached back to us. I remember with fondness the visit that we had when we all went over to see Terry and Duane at their home in Atlanta. It was good. It was rich. It was fun. Then later, in December, I got a call from Duane. Terry had AIDS. That's the first I knew. I don't know how long he'd been dealing with this. Maybe that's what spurred him on to re-engage as Uncle Terry. He was in the hospital And he wasn't expected to live much longer. We dropped our children off with the family in our church. We drove the two-plus hours to Atlanta. He was in a medically-induced coma, hooked up to all the needed devices. I hate to admit this, but we really hadn't talked about faith that much. So I wasn't sure where he was with God. 
We read scripture to him. We shared the gospel with him. We prayed for him. And then we returned to Montgomery so we could get our kids in bed. The next morning around 6 a.m., I was up praying and reading, and the phone rang. I knew what it was. At the age of 45, Terry was gone. Dwayne and I cried together. Then he told me that Terry wanted me to do his memorial service. I was honored, and I said, sure, of course. When I got off the phone, I had two thoughts. The the cynical and humorous side of me came out first and says, ah, this is just like Terry. He had this honorary streak within him, and I knew that he was doing this just so I'd get up in front of family and friends and lose it. But I knew that wasn't really the case. I knew better. The more serious thought was this. As hard as it was for him to know that I loved him deeply, but yet I could not support everything he was doing with his life, he found it within his heart to invite me in. When the time came, we piled in the car and drove to Atlanta. The funeral home was filled with poinsettias. It was December. It was beautiful. My parents and siblings were there. Dwayne and all their friends and work colleagues were present. It was about 10 to 15 minutes before the service was to begin. Although I had prepared, all of a sudden I had this overwhelming sense of anxiety come over me. I was flooding with the frightening uncertainty that I would not be able to hold it together. I went for a walk outside, and everything within me made me want to run down the street and not quit. And if I could have gotten away with it, as rational as that is, I probably would have done it. I was, in that moment, filled with uncertainty. Could I do this? What I had to share, which was basically the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, would it even be heard? How would they respond? I called out to God. And it was then that I heard that still, small, but divine voice that said, Ron, it's not about you. It's about them. And then that moment, Philippians 4 says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding flooded over me. God in his grace and mercy had moved me beyond uncertainty. After the service was over, we went over to what is now Dwayne's home, and we enjoyed a great afternoon of, with family and new friends telling stories that made us laugh and bring a tear and told the story of why Terry was so loved. Bob Goff wrote this once, The way we deal with uncertainty says a lot about whether Jesus is ahead of us leading or just behind us carrying all our stuff. See, uncertainty, if not biblically dealt with, is not a good thing, for chronic uncertainty can bring chronic anxiety. Unchecked uncertainty gives way to angst and worry and concern, which can give way to sleeplessness, self-medication, depression, despondency, and a downward spiral from there on out. If not for God... And his word. Look with me at 1 Peter 5. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you in due time, casting your care upon him because he cares for you. Just a couple words about the context. There, 
in 1 Peter, there are three major themes that kind of weave throughout it. The theme of humility, which you see here, and the theme of holiness, as well as the theme of suffering. Now, holiness is not being perfect because none of us can. Holiness is being set apart by God to live with him and for him. In this text, Peter pairs two of the themes together, humility and holiness, and he ends with verse 7, which is a scripture that I think could help us in these uncertain times. In verse 5, he says, All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Uh, something that God does for us is we engage him. I like how the NIV puts it here. He, it says, um, All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. And um, the, the NIV, I'm sorry, says, Clothe yourselves with humility. It gives that idea that there's something that we do. It's like you get up in the morning and you, you, you get dressed and you put on different garments. It's, it's putting on that attitude of being humble before others. It's a deliberate choosing. Peter quotes Proverbs 3, 4, which Melissa Shazer will share with us a little bit more tonight at the gathering. He says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Which would you rather have? Being resisted by God or receiving his grace. Of course, it's his grace. And yet, we struggle with this. Because even those of us who believe in and on Jesus Christ and have the indwelling spirit of God with us, we can easily bend back towards self. Selfishness, self-focus, self-absorption. C.S. Lewis's often quoted words are worth repeating Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, and therefore thinking more about God and thinking more about others. Peter then roots the choice of this horizontal humility in relation to others to the intrinsic verbal humility everyone has or should have when they honestly think about God. Verse 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. For when we take ourselves time, take time for ourselves to immerse ourselves in what the Scripture says about God, it doesn't take much to become humble before him, or it shouldn't. I mean, the Scriptures tell us over and over again, he is mighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, above all, and yet in our midst, creator and sustainer of all things, healer of the sick, giving liberty to those imprisoned, Loving the marginalized, loving, bringing justice to the oppressed, Savior, forgiver of our sins, and the lover of our souls. How can we not but bow down before him? How can we not lay, put our faces to the ground in his presence? And yet we struggle with, or I'll just own it, I struggle with this idea that I can and should deal with anything and everything that comes my way, my way. And there's the problem. And yet God says, verse 7, here it is. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The New Living Translation says it this way. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. We are to take the angst that uncertainty bursts to the one who cares for us like no one else does. He cares for you. He cares for me. He cares for us. Do we believe it? I mean, do we really believe it? 
For when we do, he moves us beyond uncertainty. See, like a lot of things that God says about his love for us, I think this is harder to take it from here in the noggin, in our knowing, down to the heart to here, which is the center of our will and center of who we are. And it seems that no sooner that we do get it from here and here and get it in both places, something happens and poof, it's gone. Someone criticizes us. Ah, he doesn't care for me. Something doesn't go our way. Ah, he doesn't care for me. We sin, and then we just know in our knower that he can't possibly care for me. But God says, cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Let's say it together wherever you are. Out loud, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Furthermore, God does not only care deeply for us, he is the one who embodies certainty. James 1.17 says, Our Heavenly Father does not change like shifting shadows. Hebrews 13.5, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Corey Tenboom, whose family famously saved thousands of people, I don't know, untold numbers of Jews, from the Holocaust, imprisonment, and death camps, ending up in one herself. She once said this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Uncertainty, unchecked, can grow so large that it feels like a boulder on your back. You know, you have to carry it around. And it makes you hunch over. It's heavy. And try as you might to get rid of it, continually reminds you that it's there. And yet we are invited by Jesus, the lover of our souls, to bring our uncertainty and angst to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. And let's face it, let's face it, although the cares, concerns, and burdens we feel can be humongous, in our own minds, compared to the bigness of God, the Almighty One, in reality, they are more like a little stone that you could just skip across the lake. And so when uncertainty causes us to worry, as soon as those cares and concerns come our way, we should not let them grow into a boulder, but immediately, repeatedly, continuously cast them to Him. For he cares like no one else can or ever will. I don't know about you, but I've been doing a lot of rock skipping lately. You know, I deal with something, I think I'm done with it, and I'm like, okay, God, you got that. Before you know it, I'm thinking about it again. Skip it across the lake. Cast all your care to him because he cares for you. We're living in uncertain times, things that we've never experienced before. We're going through a senior pastor search. It may seem like a long time, but God is in that. We can trust him. There are closed businesses, lost jobs, protests, and riots. An election that's coming up that's driving us all crazy. There's racial injustice. There's a call for reform in law enforcement along with the demoralization of many good police officers out there. 
There are illnesses unrelated to coronavirus, yet complicated by it. Families that can't be seen, and the list goes on and on and on, and you have yours and I have mine. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. You know, um, when we were at Dwayne's house, where Terry used to live with him, I got to see Terry's Bible. I think it was given to our family, and I was looking through it, and I found uh, it was written in there, something that Terry wrote, the only thing he wrote in there. But it was a time in high school when he personally committed his life in faith to Jesus Christ. I took comfort in that um, because I know there's a God who cares about those who follow after, who choose to to believe in him, and, and he loves them deeply. Shortly after Terry died, Margaret Morgan joined Memorial Presbyterian Church. She was a strong Southern lady that had grown up in the Baptist Church all her life, and she'd come to a Presbyterian Church, of all things, because her son Bradley had AIDS. And she was talking to our senior pastor, William, and she said to William, you know, William, I just want to find a church that will love my son. William talked to me because he knew my brother had died just in December. And he asked me if I would reach out to Margaret. I knew her already and really liked her. I said, absolutely. So I called her and I said, do you think that Bradley would be willing to have lunch with me? You know, I'm an evangelical pastor who believes in the scriptures. And I, I know that that would probably conflict a bit with what he believes. And she goes, let me find out. So she got back to me the next day. She goes, he would really like that. I mean, he would really like that. So we met at this restaurant called Sinclair's. I realize now it's just gone out of business. I was sad to see as I was searching for it online. But we sat outside there in the little courtyard or the patio, and I was sitting there when Bradley arrived, and he hopped out of the car that someone had brought him and dropped him off. And you could tell this young man in his youth, in his, in his health, was vibrant and vitally alive, and he was so skinny and frail, and he had a cane, and he walked over and sat down, and we had a great conversation over lunch. What seemed to be life itself became very uncertain for him. I began visiting him at his home. He got weak very quickly, and pretty soon he was headbound. He just said, Pastor Ron, could we just talk about heaven? And I said, that's a great idea. So I had this book from, that Johnny Erickson Tata had read, and this is one of my favorite quotes in that book that I read parts of it to him. She's talking about heaven and how the scriptures disguise, dis- describe how wonderful heaven is, and yet it's hard to understand as you read about it. And she says this, like stealing a sip of stew before dinner, it's meant to be a foretaste of what to expect, expect when you get to the banquet table. I remember somebody once saying, I think probably about a pastor, uh, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Not quite sure what that means, but I think it probably means he's always got his head in the sky that he doesn't know how to relate to people and get the work done. I don't know what it means. But I would say, I get that, but I also say, I think sometimes we need to be more heavenly minded because then we will be more earthly good. Because as uncertain as this is, this life is not it. There is something far greater, far better than all the goodness that the earth has given us. And we can and should look forward to that day, not in a way to hasten it, to get out of our our own problems, but to realize there is something far better than this that God promises all those who believe in and on him. And so therefore, we should live this life with eternity in mind. You know, as I reflect back on the time I had with Bradley, we never did talk about 
sexuality. Maybe I should have. I'm not sure. But I knew he knew what I believed the scriptures taught. And I just never sensed the nudge of the Holy Spirit to go there. I don't know why. At one point during one of our heaven conversations, Bradley Morgan looked at me and said, If this is wrong, can I be forgiven? And I said, Absolutely. The gospel is there for everyone to believe in and on him and be forgiven and promise eternal life. I was saddened to know that he was uncertain about his eternal destiny, but glad to know that he knew differently now. He died shortly thereafter. I got a call in the middle of the night and went over there with his friends and his family, and we prayed and we wept. A.W. Tozer said, We must meet the uncertainties of this world with the certainty of the world to come. I think that gives us perspective, the best perspective of all. No matter what you are uncertain of, no matter what concerns, worries, or carries you carry, cast your care on him, for he cares for you. Let's pray. Lord, your word is always true and always good and always speaks to your immense love and forgiveness and always speaks to who we are to be in relation to you. And so we might, we always go back to what your word says to know what is right and what is wrong, but also to know how to live in this life with so many uncertainties. Lord, I pray that you would move us all to that place this week, this month, where we're just continually casting our cares on you because you do care for us. You do care for this world. You do care for believers, and you do care for those who do not know you yet. Might we be mindful of that? Might we move into that? And might we share the good news that you give to us, to anybody willing to pull up a chair and listen. In Jesus' name we pray.